prayer first. Heavenly Father, your name is above all names. We thank you, Lord, that you have called us together this morning, and we ask this this simple thing, that your holy name would be magnified. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, in the uh, Pew Bibles, it's on page 957, and uh, verse 1. I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. This is the word of the Lord. He owes you five bucks. I think so, yeah. That's how it works in my house. Well, good morning, everyone. We're continuing our series through Exodus. I'm going to be in Exodus chapter 4 today, and I encourage you to join me there. This will be our fourth week, I think, at the burning bush. I hope you don't mind. Somebody asked me this week, how can you spend four weeks in the burning bush? But here we go. We're going to look at Exodus chapter 4, beginning at verse 10. We'll take about a paragraph and go through verse 17. I'll read it first, and then we'll draw out some implications. Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. So if you remember the scenario here, Moses was wandering around in the desert, saw the burning bush, and this was the great call of Moses where God is calling Moses to go back to Pharaoh, talk to Pharaoh about letting the people go. And so they are all enslaved right now in Egypt, and God is commissioning Moses to be the leader that ends up bringing them out of the country. Moses is intimidated by this, and so he says, gosh, it's, you know, I'm not sure that I'm a very good speaker here. And some people think, well, maybe he had a stutter or maybe he felt like he had forgotten how to speak Egyptian or something like this because it had been some time since he had been in Egypt. I don't know that we need to read into it quite that much or even psychoanalyze it. He, he was intimidated by it and he didn't want to do it and he's trying to find ways out of it. So his best excuse here in this challenge is uh, there must be somebody who, who, who speaks better than me. So verse 11, then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute 
or deaf, or seen, or blind, is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and teach you what you shall speak. But he, Moses, said, O my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him. And put the words in his mouth. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) Speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth. And you shall be as God to him. That's an interesting sibling dynamic. And then finally, verse 17, and take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. That staff appears many times through the next few chapters. So Moses is dreading this mission for some reason, and we're not sure why, personality or maybe history, maybe he's afraid of seeing people that he hasn't seen in a long time and left ashamed. Uh, Maybe he's afraid to fail. Uh, Maybe the whole thing is just so incredible that he would have to go talk to the most powerful leader in the world at that point. Whatever the case may be, Moses is happy to be a shepherd and nothing but a shepherd and is hoping that God will find someone else here. And uh, I think most of us can relate to Moses uh, in many respects. God sometimes asks us to do things that are intimidating. I'm not talking about a burning bush type experience where God says, hey, here's what I want you to do. I would like you to go to Ireland or something like that. I don't know, maybe, maybe whatever that God normally doesn't do that to us. Normally, he speaks to us very clearly in his word. We find out we find out exactly what he wants us to do. And we have a feeling of intimidation or dread or Maybe I didn't read that or find some way to find a way out of it or whatever it may be. So I think we can relate to feeling intimidated by what God has called us to. There could be lots of reasons we hate to fail. We don't want, um, uh, we, yeah, we don't want to fail. We want to be fruitful in the things that we do in our lives. Want to be successful, uh, whatever that may be. And so there are lots of reasons that we might back away. But fruitful ministry depends on a few things that God has revealed here in this passage and all through other parts of Scripture. I encourage you to write these down as we go through them. Fruitful ministry depends on four things. Fruitful ministry depends on four things that pop out of this passage. And the first one is God's call. Fruitful ministry depends on God's call. Moses is called to this ministry of going and talking to Pharaoh and leading the people to the promised land. And Moses is not excited about this particular call. Um, You know, Jeremiah, the great prophet Jeremiah, had a similar response to God. If you remember the very first chapter of Jeremiah, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you or I set you apart. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I, Jeremiah, this is a good thousand years later. Then I said, ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a youth for to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Do you see some of these overlaps here with Moses? I have put my words in your mouth. See, 
I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And then begins Jeremiah's life. It starts with, and the word of the Lord came to me. And boom, you have dozens of chapters following that. And he became uh, one of the most important, we now call them major prophets. Also Joshua, you remember Joshua who came right after Moses. We don't see the back and forth so much between God and uh, Joshua. Uh, but God told him many times to be strong and courageous. That's where that phrase comes from. The first chapter of Joshua, be strong and courageous, presumably because he needed strength and courage. Presumably this repetition, be strong, be courageous. Uh, Joshua was probably thinking, how am I going to do this? Where is Moses? <laughs> like, How am I going to do this without Moses? And I got to go into a country and there's all these people that hate us and want to kill us. And all of these people have had this really horrible track record. How am I going to do this? In Joshua chapter one, God says, be strong and courageous for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. Be strong, be courageous. And we see this happening many times in scripture where people are called to intimidating ministry. They have a sense of inadequacy. They have a feeling maybe even of dread or intimidation or fear. Uh, Even uh, maybe like a guy like Jonah, just outright rebellion. God told me to do this, so I'm gonna go in exactly the opposite direction. Or Gideon, who did what he was supposed to do for a while and then completely fell off the wagon and ended up as a disaster of a life. You know, I kind of think that Mary is one of the only real big exceptions in the Bible. I just think that's cool that this teenage girl responds to God's incredible call by saying, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Normally, the mission that God calls us to is so wild that a normal response is serious concern. So I think that's neat that, uh, that Mary puts some of these guys to shame. And I'm not sure that that serious concern is sin. It becomes sinful at a point, and we see that with a couple of these men. But I don't think that it's wrong to be intimidated by what God calls us to do. God may call us to uh, be faithful to a spouse that is driving us nuts or something like this. There are lots of things that the scripture is very clear about. And uh, this may be very intimidating. We may not want to do this. And so it's normal to be concerned about what it is that God has called us to do. Much of what God tells us to do is concerning. And let me just give an overarch of what it is that God has called all of us to do. And this applies to every Christian, and we find it in Matthew chapter 28. It's the Great Commission. This is where Jesus tells his disciples, and each one of us, if we're a Christian, are also a disciple. And God says, all authority, this is Jesus talking to the disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
I like the way that Jesus words all of that, and I think it's intentional. He starts by talking about himself, and he ends by talking about himself, and he sandwiches all of that with what the verbs are that these dudes are supposed to do. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. So this has to do with my authority on earth, and it ends with, behold, I am with you to the ends of the age. So that's the bread and the salami in there are the verbs, make disciples, baptize, and teach. So this is all about God. This is all about what God wants to do on earth. And again, you might think, well, I haven't had a burning bush experience in my life and been given a specific job to do. Therefore, I'm not really called. I'm, I'm just mostly a consumer of church ministry, right? But all Christians are disciples. All Christians receive the Great Commission. The Bible tells us a lot more about what the Great Commission looks like. Theologians have gone through the whole New Testament in order to sort of put together or systematize what it is that churches are supposed to do as we execute the Great Commission. What is it supposed to look like? And a good helpful summary, I think, of what churches do can be categorized in three ways. Ministry to God, ministry to each other, and ministry to the world. Ministry to God simply includes worship or prayer or whatever that that kind of Godward ministry that we do as we glorify God. Ministry to each other has to do with that disciple making, that mentoring, teaching, the fellowship that we have together, uh, the strengthening of families or whatever may happen there, counseling and all the other things that happen in the church. Ministry to God, ministry to each other, and then also ministry to the world. That would be evangelism. That would be missions, compassion ministry, justice ministry. So there's a lot of things that are underneath the Great Commission to go and make disciples. When we make disciples, we bring them into a church building and churches need to do certain things in order for this to function well. And these these categories give us focus. They help us to understand, okay, what is it that God has made me for? You know, we have a chore chart at our house. It's on the refrigerator. Many of you have seen it. And uh, it's for our kids so that they know what it is that they're supposed to do each day. Uh, to contribute to the family working well. And uh, sometimes uh, if you've ever been in charge of a chore chart, you've noticed that you have to draw attention to it. Uh, You've noticed that you have to, uh, at least with the younger ones and so on, explain what it means to sweep a certain area and how that happens in a way that actually looks like somebody did it and so on. You know, uh, so the question is, you know, son, God has called you right now the God's will for my son's life and I have to make this clear to him right because he's focused on Legos or whatever it may be and so I have to make God's will very clear to him and that is God's will for his life right now is to empty all of the garbages in the house and to take him outside that is God's will for my son's life because God has put him under my authority God has put me under God's authority and I've asked him to do this and God tells him in scripture he needs to obey his parents. And so God's will for my son in that moment is very clear. He doesn't need a burning bush. He doesn't need some kind of ecstatic religious experience. He's doing exactly what God has called him to do when I clarify for him uh, what needs to happen. And I think we all need that same thing from time to time through a reading the scripture or listening to a a sermon or some other kind of Bible study. And God refocuses us on what it is that we're supposed to do because we find all kinds of other things to do with our lives. We all have a kind of a childlike approach to life and that's okay and that's good. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but we have to take advantage of these moments 
when somebody helps us focus on what it is that we're actually supposed to be doing as individuals and as a church. God has made each of us for this process of making disciples, baptizing and teaching. He's made all of us for that. He's commissioned all of us to do that. But see, God is a great creator and he makes things beautifully. You know, we always say there's no two snowflakes that are identical. He makes all of us different. And he brings us together in a place like this. And our gathering is going to be different than the way that it looks down on Luther Road or whatever other groups of Christians. It's all going to look real different. But he's put us all together for the purpose of ministering to God effectively, fruitfully, ministering to each other effectively, fruitfully, and ministering to the world in a way that brings glory to God. And that's what we exist to do. And there might be a lot of different ways that we contribute to that. Uh, And we need these little reminders uh, Because we have a tendency to focus our lives in secondary places. We get involved in a church because we want friends. And that's a good thing, but that's a secondary thing. The main reason for the church is to glorify God through worship, through mentoring, through discipleship, through fellowship, compassion, and that sort of a thing. And and, uh, so the main verbs in our calling, each of us as individuals, are the main verbs in Matthew 28 are to make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them. And not as any kind of a spank. I don't at all mean to uh, be negative, but that thing's been dry for a while. You know, and it is our job. That is what we exist to do is to baptize people. And then when we pluck them up out of the water, to disciple them, to teach them to observe all that God has commanded. It's a very simple thing that we're supposed to do. And yet we do all kinds of other stuff and we get busy with all kinds of other things, even in the ministry of the church. And so we need to focus on what it is that God has created us to do. Ministry is fruitful when it is focused on the call. So we can't just say, well, I'm not Moses. This is the problem is we see a a passage like this about the burning bush and we either over apply it saying, oh, I'm just like Moses and God talks to me like that and and so on. Or we under apply it thinking, well, I'm not like Moses and I haven't had a burning bush experience and therefore this whole sermon doesn't really apply to me because I'm just an ordinary person. I'm just one of those people that Moses talks to whose name doesn't actually appear in the word of God. And so I'll just go wherever you tell me to go, you know, sign up where you tell me to sign up or something like that. But God, as he was ascending into heavens, Jesus Christ commissioned each one of his disciples. And we are all part of that same family tree. Each one of us are disciples. And he commissioned all of us to engage and to focus on making disciples, baptizing and teaching. And again, there are many ways that we might contribute to or strengthen those different processes. So I told you there would be four ways that ministry would be fruitful. One is ministry is fruitful when it is connected to God's call. The other here is that ministry is fruitful when it is connected to God's word. God's word. Exodus chapter four, back here at the burning bush, God says to Moses, now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. God does not say to Moses, Hey, man, you are a great speaker. I was looking all through the ancient Near East here, and you are an amazing speaker. And so I'm thinking, here's a couple of bullet points of what we're going to think about here. 
and you just go, and I'm sure you'll be able to figure it out. See, Moses' call was not him sitting in front of a computer trying to craft the perfect lecture or the perfect presentation in front of Moses or in front of all the Jewish Jewish elders. No, God is sending Moses into big-time negotiations, but with exact instructions. God was giving him a script There's no winging it here for Moses. And so it doesn't really matter if he's eloquent or not, because this has to do with God's words. And they're going to come out of Moses's mouth. But it is not Moses's gifts, but his ability to report accurately what God has given him. That's going to make a difference here. So in front of Pharaoh, Moses's words need to be precisely God's words. That's the main thing that Moses needs to think about here. Don't worry about what's everybody thinking about me and whether or not my staff is going to do what it's supposed to. Just don't even think about that because that's all on God. What you've got to think about, Moses, is saying exactly what it is that God told you to say. And it's probably a pretty short script because Moses isn't going to give you, or Pharaoh's not going to give you very much time anyway. So report to Pharaoh exactly what God told you to say. And all Bible prophets and all Bible teachers go through the exact same thing. All Bible teachers, all Bible prophets, all counselors, all parents of children that are needing to be raised up in God's ways, everybody that ends up teaching God's word is first a learner. Nobody should be making this stuff up. There shouldn't be any winging it. You know, if a little kid asks a question, I remember wacky stuff that people told me when I was a little kid when I asked the weird questions. You know, like, why do we have these uh what are these called shoulder blades why do we have shoulder blades you know what i was told well those were those used to be your angel wings and they got clear oh that's cute right no because then all of a sudden you're 12 years old and you'd be like hey wait a minute i better not say this out loud but that's not true i remember asking classes in sunday school class you know about is it true that people when they go to hell go to hell forever and ever and ever like that doesn't sound like a loving gracious god and i remember the the sunday school teacher saying oh no i'm i'm sure that people go to hell for a period of time but then eventually we all go to heaven there shouldn't be any wing in it if you don't know what you're talking about be quiet go find out because these are god's words it doesn't matter what you think about hell what matters is what god says about hell And as a Bible teacher, your job is to clearly report what the Bible says. Ministry is fruitful. Ministry is fruitful. Not when you have some amazing, eloquent uh, communicator. But when you have a reporter who's able to clearly report what it is that the Bible says. He gives us his word and our job is to learn it and to study it and report it. Ministry is fruitful when it's connected to the word. There's great power in the word of God. Unbelievable power in the word of God. And the reason for that is it's unlike any other book. It's living and active. This thing right here is not a member of the Trinity, right? It's the, it's the word of God. It's like a, almost like a photocopy of Christ that we have here. Or it's like a photograph of Christ or something. It's a, it's a report of exactly what God is like. Jesus was like a walking, talking version of this. And we have a copy of this here 
now. And, and it, it, but it's alive because the Holy Spirit is involved with these words and because they're exactly accurate. These words are alive. They're living and active. Better than any other book or poem or article or anything that you'll ever read. These words have incredible power. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Many times in the book of Acts, I deleted a whole bunch of this section. I'm going to condense it, but this is a really cool study. If you've got some Bible software or an old Strong's uh, concordance or something like that, and look at all the times in the book of Acts where the word of God does something. See, it wasn't that, you know, the, the apostles took the word of God to different places, but the word of God took the apostles to different places. The word of God goes out and conquers in the book of Acts. It's pretty cool. And it's not hyperbole. Okay, the writer isn't just using hyperbole. The, the writer is saying that the word of God is living and active and it goes out and pushes back the gates of hell. And what the apostles do, what the evangelists do, what Bible teachers and what just any ordinary schmo does that's got a Bible is goes into the places where God has gone before, accurately explain what's in there. And the word of God is what does the work. So listen to this, Acts 19. This is after a whole bunch of... Uh, of uh, uh, Idols have been burnt and the silversmiths and that awesome section there in Acts chapter 19. And at the conclusion of it, it says, And a number of those who practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. So those words are gone. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And that's awesome. So again, if you've got a Strong's Dictionary or a good piece of software, look up all the times in Scripture in the book of Acts where the word of God increases, <laughs> where the word of God prevails mightily. It's pretty, pretty awesome. Now, Paul felt nervous. He was one of these dudes that went into these places and that God used to prevail mightily in that place. But it wasn't Paul prevailing. Uh, Paul was nervous himself. We think about Paul sometimes because he wrote so much scripture, like he was some stud that never had any question about himself, never had any feelings of inadequacy. Uh, so people like me are thrilled to read passages like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So this is cool. And again, this is not hyperbole. You don't just roll your eyes and say, oh, that was Paul. No, God used this guy, Paul, who was shaking in his boots before church on Sunday morning. Like, what am I doing here? Okay, now what do I need to focus on? I just got to focus here. What do I got to focus on? So he whittled it down to the most important theme of the bible i decided to know nothing among you except jesus christ and him crucified see this message this message and all ministry is effective when the word of god is in the center of it 
And this is true with parenting. This is true with all the different things that go in. This is true with the songs we sing together. This is true with uh, the kind of evangelism that we do. This is true with compassion ministry. This is true with anything that the church does in the process of making disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them. Everything that we do has got to be centered in the Word of God. The Word of God has to be the most important thing, which is why 10 years ago we changed our children's ministry so that our Children's ministry teachers weren't spending hours and hours making, preparing at home macrame, this or that and stuff, but they were preparing to open their Bibles with the kids because it's the word that has the power. And this is true in counseling too. We think, wow, somebody's got all these troubles and all these problems, and I got to think of some amazing wisdom wise thing or some some way to word it in a way that's good for them. But you know, what we got to focus on is what does the word say? The ministry of the counselor or the friend in that moment is to find scripture that applies as refreshment or correction or whatever it may be. The, the, the word has to be the center of what's going on. Our children are struggling. They're having a hard time with friends or they're making weird decisions with their homework or whatever it may be. Whatever it may be. They're struggling with certain temptations, whatever it may be. Look, a lecture is not going to really get you very far. That can be exasperating. There's a whole bunch of Things that we can do as parents that are much less helpful than finding a passage of Scripture and helping our kids to eat it. And I don't mean beat them over with Scripture. The Word tells you that you shouldn't do this. No, I'm saying, let's look at this and let's talk about this. And then you, let, then you bring the power of the Word of God, the power that has the ability to increase and prevail mightily in a situation where my words may do more harm than good. You know, God calls us to all kinds of intimidating things, frustrating things, broken stuff, discouraging things, all kinds of trouble that we end up in. And what we need in those situations is the power of the word of God in order for fruitful stuff to happen. So we need to study God's word in private so that when we get into those situations, we know what we're talking about. If you've been a Christian for 10 minutes, that's all right that you don't know very much, (laughs) but... After about 10 minutes, it's time to start studying. It's time to start looking into this stuff. You know, dads, you are the resident theologian of your home. Oh, well, I don't really know very much. Well, it's time to learn. It's time to learn. It's time to study so that when words come out of your mouth, it is God speaking through your mouth into the difficulties and challenges and beauties of family life. Word of God is what makes ministry fruitful. Third thing here that I think we see from this burning bush is that ministry is fruitful. Ministry is fruitful. Making disciples is fruitful when it's about God's power. God's power. And I know I've talked a little bit about this, but I've talked specifically about the power of God's word. Let's talk more generically about God's power in general. And I think we see this in two different ways in this passage. One is God's power in creation. And the other is God's power through the Holy Spirit. But first of all, creation. This one is really interesting. I wonder if it's stuck out to you as we're reading this or if you've thought about this passage before. When God says, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? It raises some very interesting questions about the problem of evil, doesn't it? Fruitful ministry is possible because God's power is behind it. Not just the power of his words, but his power in creating us and making us exactly as we are. 
Moses was intimidated about this call. He didn't feel qualified for who knows what reason. Um, but whatever the reason, he didn't feel like he was the right man for the job. And so he says, I'm not eloquent. Uh, and God says to him, who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. I'm sorry if I, I'm, I'm excited about this passage. I don't mean to sound irritated. I'm not sure that God was irritated with Moses. And probably the way I read that sounded like uh, God was irritated, like get up, you know, or, and I'm not sure that's what, what God was doing there. Um, but he's saying, look, yeah, uh, it doesn't matter whether you're eloquent or not. Doesn't really matter, dude, because I'm going to be with your mouth. <laughs> so this is going to work. You might be studying you might be pronouncing Egyptian words funny because you use it or lose it and you haven't used it in 30 years. Or, yeah, you might be slow of speech and not able to keep up with some of the debate that you might face. And fair, Don't worry about that, man, because I'm going to be with your mouth. God's power in creation is what qualifies us to be the people that God calls us to be. Now, just think about that because it's pretty cool. God's power in creation, not just his Holy Spirit uh, empowering our fallen wackiness, but God's power in making us as we are is what qualifies us to be the people that God has called us to be. He makes us, like literally knits us together in, his, uh, in our mother's wombs. Literally was the wrong word there, but you know what I mean. He makes us and he guides our lives. He guides our lives so that we are perfectly crafted at this moment for whatever God wants us to do in this moment. In one sense, disabilities are a result of the fall. That's clear. God is saying, I'm going to come back and make all things new, give us new bodies and all of that kind of stuff. Our bodies get old and sometimes they start out broken. And so God promises to come back and make all things new. But in another sense, God creates people intentionally with disabilities, which is what this passage says. And how that works philosophically is not what I'm going to do here today. It's what the scripture says. And so we got to accept this. And he doesn't explain why, but he does guarantee that our disabilities and our limitations never retard him in what he is trying to do on this earth. There is no limitation for God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might Boast in the presence of God. So none of us have any reason for opting out of the call, God's clear call, thinking, well, I'm inadequate in some way. Or, you know, I've been living for 60 years and always kind of made a disaster of things, and so I might as well just finish it up that way. <laughs> That's not a good way to, to respond to what God has created us for. God has created us exactly for this moment. And it has to do with God's power. That is revealed through our weakness. 
Another expression of God's power is the Holy Spirit. It isn't just that he created us and guided our life in order to make us exactly as we are for this moment so that his power could be revealed through us, but also the power itself is his Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. I'm going to read this in the New Living Translation. It's the clearest. It says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. There are very poetic, wonderful ways to say that in other translations, but that just seems to say exactly what it needs to say the most clearly. A spiritual gift is given to each one of us so that we can help each other. (laughs) The Spirit of God was on Moses. Later, the Spirit of God was on Joshua because they were prophets. And in the Old Testament, the Spirit came on certain people and not others. The Spirit would come on some people and maybe leave later, like with Saul. But in the New Testament, each Christian is filled with the Holy Spirit. And the purpose of the Holy Spirit coming inside us is so that the church would be strengthened. So again, we think about the call. What is it that God has put us all together to do? Ministry to God, ministry to each other, ministry to the word. So we know what it is that we're supposed to be doing, making disciples through all these different kinds of ministries. And God then gives us a gift in order to strengthen those ministries. God gives us a gift, unique So my gift of this might be different than your gift of that. Now, that's true, right? I mean, I think I probably have a gift of of preaching, and Mike has a gift of preaching, but we both preach different. And there's all kinds of different gifts throughout this room. Every single individual, if you are saved, if you have given your life to God and you have the Holy Spirit in you, then you have some gift that is designed for ministry to God, ministry to each other, ministry to the world. You have some gift that is designed for making disciples that results in baptism and teaching. Those great verbs in the 28th chapter of Matthew. There's some gift you have that connects with the verbs in Matthew 28. That's what the scripture tells us. God gives us the Holy Spirit so that each one of us can contribute to this gathering of people. And we might be very reluctant or intimidated or inconvenienced by this god surely there's somebody else and clearly many bible prophets were called to do things that they didn't really want to do but god empowered them to do exactly what they dreaded you know one of my concerns about the way that we talk about spiritual gifts sometimes is we take this little assessment of competencies and basically write down the things that we like to do or the things that we're good at I'm thinking that a lot of the Bible prophets would have failed prophecy on their assessments because it wasn't something that they liked to do or thought that they were good at at all. God often asks us to do exactly what we dread so that his power can be revealed through a fool. In Paul's thinking, he's, he exists in order to demonstrate how it is that God's power through a fool can save people. Yeah, I was going to use the donkey. Who, who said that? Les said that. Yeah, I was going to say that, but I edited it out because I was trying to go uh, uh, reduce my time here. But that's true. God can speak right through a donkey. And so certainly he can speak through me. Many prophets, I think, uh, would have been very... Uh, Low on the prophecy, spiritual gift assessment. 
Each one of us have been called and created and empowered by God to bless his church. And there are no limits on what God can do in and through us. The issue is not Moses' ability in this passage. It's not his ability. It's his obedience to be the man that God created and called and empowered. And so to all disciples, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. Luke chapter 21, this sounds a lot like the scenario with Moses. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, he's talking about persecution for several verses. And he says, you'll be brought before kings and governors for my sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. That's interesting, isn't it? I had to read that a few times. Let me just read it one more time. But presumably we're talking about somebody Bible saturated, right? This is not Hinduism where we empty our minds and just hope, you know, that uh, that we'll reach some other plane. It, It has to do with a mind that is full of Bible. And then all of a sudden you get in front of kings and governors for my name's sake. This is going to be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. So the the thing to see here is that fruitful ministry comes from God's power in creating us and guiding our lives exactly to the people that we are right now. We're exactly... uh, shaped as we need to be in order to do what God called us to do. And he gives us the Holy Spirit with specific gifts, supernatural ability that we did not have, supernatural fruitfulness that we did not have prior to salvation. And those gifts exist for the purpose of building up his church. And again, we just need to keep focusing on what it is that the church exists for. And then one more thing, I'll just go through this briefly one more of the four the the fourth of the four things that we need in order for ministry to be fruitful and that is god's rule god's rule over human hearts see fruitfulness in ministry depends on god softening pharaoh's heart (laughs) it depends on god uh, making the jewish elders listen to what it is that Moses is saying in Exodus 3.18, they will listen to your voice. John 6.44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So this is not our job, but God's. If we're in an apologetic scenario trying to figure out how to explain the existence of God or trying to explain the gospel or something like that, it's not really my job to convince. It is my job to explain clearly what the Bible says to report what it is that the Bible says and to lay it all on God and his spirit and his word in order to do the convincing. Our job is to simply obey the call and then to rely on the word and on the spirit to do its work. So a number of things that we see here in this passage with with Moses that apply to our own calls. And I'd like to close. This is just going to take me a few minutes here. So it'll be longer close than normal. But I want to close with Psalm 46 because we were, a few of us were reading it earlier this week. And the same themes that we see in this passage here with the burning bush pop up in Psalm 46 as well. It's a beautiful psalm. And uh, so look for 
the themes of God's word and God's rule and God's power so that here we're not just doing like a little theology lesson, but we actually hear all of these same themes come out through praise. So listen to this in Psalm 46, and I'm going to read the whole thing. It's a beautiful psalm, and it's a wonderful way to kind of wrap up the theology that we've seen here today. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So you notice all through that passage, you have word and rule and power. And I love in verse four, and that confused me years ago in seeing this. What is with the river in verse four? You've got all of this craziness happening in the earth, foaming waters and mountains falling into the heart of the sea. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. It's a wonderful metaphor. And I think there is a, uh, in, in some day in the future, the Bible talks about it many times, going to be a river coming right out of Jerusalem. But it's a metaphor. Imagine children playing by a river, the refreshment of sticking your feet in a cool river after a long day. A river is a, is a blessing, and the Spirit of God is like this, flowing through us. The Spirit is often connected to water. Isaiah 44, for I will pour water on thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowering streams. Spiritual gifts and our, our role as Christians is often presented as a pressure. Like you've got to do this. You've got to do this. Or you're not a good boy or not a good girl. But since all of this is coming from the power of the word and the power of the spirit and the power of God's rule over all creation, what we see here is the blessing of the spirit of God in our lives. That this is not about pressure, you've got to do this, but this is about the opportunities and the beauty that can come when we take advantage of what it is that God has made us to do. He says, I will be exalted. This is not a possible future. It is a certain future. I will be exalted among the nations. And what this means is that the church will certainly succeed. There will be problems because God uses us to do this stuff. So there will be problems. There will be problems in our families. There'll be problems in our churches. Even Moses was not even allowed to go into the promised land because of problems. But the people made it. And God did do exactly what he set out to do. There will be problems, but there will also be fruitfulness if it is banked on God's word and God's rule. Ministry will be fruitful because you have these ingredients driving it. There is a call. There is a mission. 
There is a word that he gives us. I love there in Psalm 46, he utters his voice, the earth melts. There's great power there. There's power in the way that he creates all things and creates us exactly as we are, giving us his Holy Spirit. And there's power in his rule over the unseen realm and even over hearts which soften people to hear the words that come out of our mouths. And that's why God can say, I will be exalted. Moses, they will listen to you. Joshua, they will inherit the land that I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The reason that God is able to say that is because it's all banked on God's call, God's word, God's power in creation and spirit and God's rule. So there are many pressures that threaten the fruitfulness of all of these things, and I don't want to downplay any of those. Life is difficult. Relationships are hard. You know, we're, we're trying to figure out stuff with the sound system earlier this morning, trying to plug things in and out and all of that, and there's all kinds of frustrations that make worship hard. There's all kinds of changes, right, that can make things hard in the way that we do things as families and as churches. But if we can focus on what God has provided, his very specific call to be centered by that, his power, the way that he's created us, his rule in our lives and his word, then he promises fruitfulness. Let's close in prayer. Lord God, you are a great and awesome God, and our desire is to be the people that you've called us to be. We thank you for giving us the spirit. Thank you for giving us your word, and we praise you for your great power throughout all creation, throughout the universe, to bring about exactly what it is that you're trying to do, gathering people to worship you. Lord God, as we sing a few songs here this morning, we pray that you would be glorified, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.